I first of all wanted to ask you about uh, Canada and yeah. your upbringing and how could you describe the music scene in Canada? Okay. Um, I was really lucky. I grew up in Ottawa, so the capital city, yeah. and they have um, a lot of wonderful, wonderful teachers and um, a really wonderful history of teaching music really, really well. Um, so uh, I started piano lessons when I was seven, uh -huh. um, and then I joined when I was ten the Men and Boys Choir at Christchurch Cathedral, um, and so that choir had been going on for 30 years but when wow. I started okay. um, and it was started by a British um, immigrant who was brought over to start that program his name was Godfrey Hewitt um, and then his daughter is Angela Hewitt the famous pianist um, so that was sort of the tradition I grew yeah. up in yeah. with, with, with that um, and I had you know so that very traditional British choral training singing wise um, and then I had phenomenal um, uh, piano teachers as well. Um, some of which, two of them were also organists and had done the, the whole British Royal um, College of Church Organists training. So like once again, very much from that British style of, of uh, training. Uh, and then I also played violin uh, and studied with um, people uh, who were in the National Arts Centre Orchestra and had started major orchestras in Canada. So, yeah, um, yeah sort of really had phenomenal teaching. Yeah. Um, and Ottawa is kind of famous for that now, in a way. Um, list of famous singers who are working right now here in Europe, uh, Gerald Finley, Wallace Jinta. Um, I'm drawing a blank now. Um, <laughs> Philip Sly in France, yeah. um, the Daniel Taylor, countertenor, um, Matthew White. He's he was more in Canada, but very well known. Um, Alan Monk, a little bit older, uh, baritone, uh, and then tons of instrumentalists who work throughout North America a lot. Um, yeah, so and so it's, it's a strong, quite strong. Community. Yeah, straight, quite a strong community. Um, a lot of people leave Ottawa because there's not as much work there. Um, they have two wonderful orchestras yeah. uh, and some chamber music stuff going on. Um, but, you know, only so many jobs there. Um, and then another wonderful thing that Ottawa has is their summer music festival, the Chamber Music Festival. And now they also have another music festival called Music and Beyond. Um, and like the Chamber Music Festival really shaped my knowledge of music because I would go in the summers, spend my days at the festival. I'd yeah, bought a festival pass and I would see four or five concerts a day. Um, and yeah, so there would be a, a 10 a.m. breakfast performance and then I would see the noontime performance, an afternoon performance, an evening performance, and then sometimes they would also have a late night um, performance. And that was, so yeah, yeah. And so doing that for a week and a half, you know, you just yeah, hear yeah. so much music. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so that, that's sort of my training um, influence from, from Ottawa. Um, with regards to the music scene in Canada, yeah. it's very diverse, I would say, um, in the major city centres. So in Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa and Vancouver, 
there's a lot of stuff going on at various different levels. Um, lots of choirs, uh, a good amount of community stuff, and then in Toronto and Montreal, a very strong opera scene as well, and and live theater at a at a very high professional level. In Ottawa and Vancouver, um, there, in Ottawa, there's a really phenomenal community of theater people, and and that opera was not able to survive, unfortunately. Um, there are some smaller companies that do opera and concert and stuff, um, but that is more a community-driven thing. They have, you know, some very, very good singers, but it's not, it's not, it's not, yeah, it's not national, it's not really fully funded. It's not like the singers are able to get proper full fees for the, their work. It's more because they love it and they want to bring opera to that community. Um, but Ottawa has a phenomenal choral community. Something like a hundred choirs um, of various different... Like They have a phenomenal children's chorus, uh, and then there's also a youth choir that sort of feeds from the uh, children's chorus that feeds up, um, and then tons of community choirs, like so many. It's, it's quite, quite astounding. Um, yeah, and everyone... Basically, I'd say in Ottawa, there are two sets of people, and there are some overlap, but there's the, the music people and then the sports people. Um, uh, that's sort of what Ottawa has going, because it's a government town, so basically for the government people who live there, they either do music or they do sports. Um, that's kind of it. Yeah, and then in Toronto, it's, I think, the largest Canadian city still, um, and so you have so much going on there and that's where I'm based now um, so sort of at the top of that budget wise you have the Canadian Opera Company which puts on six full main stage productions generally with seven or eight performances and I know in Europe that seems like not that many productions but that is really all Canada can, can sustain maximum in a year um, they do very well they get I would say 95% of their shows are, are, are filled. Um, it's, so it's good, but um, they have to, it's a lot of effort to get that many people there. Um, and there's not as much public funding from the government. Um, so that's primarily private donors that are making that happen. And I know, you know, hearing about things like the Wien, um, Stadtoper, and stuff like that, you know, they're at 99 every night, and there's, what, six shows a week. Um, and they're, you know, they're making money. Canada, most most companies are breaking even or slightly in the red, but then get written off by um, donors. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you have that. And then a new thing, that's, so that's sort of the biggest company in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a couple smaller companies that do um, very specific things. So we have Opera Atelier, which does primarily Baroque and French opera with a little bit of Mozart as well uh, and they only do two, pr two productions a year um, but that's with a full um, ballet company as well um, so it's it's really sort of taking that idea of the French Baroque and just yeah. presenting that sort of stuff uh, and then there's another fairly big company called Against the Grain um, and they s do a lot of contemporary adaptations of 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 
classic operas and then also doing some new new operas, um, modern operas and commissions and stuff. And then there's a really wonderful scene now in Toronto of what we call indie opera, so independent okay. opera companies, mm-hmm. very small, and uh, it's a really phenomenal um, way for young singers who are recently out of school to build up yeah. uh, um, experience. Yeah. Uh, and it's also a lot of young directors, a lot of um, interesting new works being done. Uh, and there's probably 10 at least companies in okay, Toronto cool, cool. doing that. Yeah. And they do it in various different performance venues. Um, and it's it's really interesting. Um, yeah. And then in Montreal, they have the big opera company. And they do seven, six or seven perform- productions a year as well. Uh, and they're starting now to do um, some shorter chamber opera stuff in other venues as a part of their season as well. And that also gives their young artists other opportunities to, to perform more. Um, yeah. And then in Vancouver, they their opera company has been struggling a little bit. Um, but I think it's still okay. And they do four productions a year. Uh, yeah. And then Vancouver has a more limited music scene right now. Um, they have a couple of really nice early music ensembles and some, some good choirs. But, uh, yeah, not as many, not as many performance opportunities there. Um, some wonderful teachers out there and everything, but yeah, just not as many performance opportunities. They, they have a wonderful symphony, the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra, really one of the top orchestras in Canada. Um, but other than that and the opera... It's not as much going on. And then you have the, the middle of Canada, the prairies. You have Edmonton, Calgary, Saskatoon, and Regina, and Winnipeg. Um, they all have symphonies at various different levels. Edmonton and Calgary are fully professional, um, as is Winnipeg, the Manitoba Chamber Orchestra. Um, Saskatoon is a mixture of student, professional, and some community. And Regina... I think is professional. I can't remember though. Um, and they all have fairly good seasons um, for symphonies. And Saskatoon is doing really, really well. Um, they have a wonderful board of directors. They're artistic manager and stuff, and and everything. They they've done. They've adapted their programming to their community, and have done a wonderful job engaging that. And I've sung with them a couple of times, so I I, I know sort of firsthand where I haven't sung with all the other ones um, but yeah it's pretty good and then Edmonton and Calgary each do a couple operas a year Saskatoon does one Winnipeg has uh, two small opera companies in there yeah so yeah and for the population sizes because most of those places are under a million people so yeah yeah and when you for instance, in Salzburg, um, do you see a difference between musical cultures and what you learned? What you learned? Yeah, um, the, the, I would say the biggest difference is, I'll call it traditional classical music, is just a part of everyday life here, in, in especially in Salzburg. Um, everyone here, you know, 
I've been out with some of my colleagues and we've been just having dinner somewhere and people are like, oh, are you with the Zulzberg Festival? We're like, yes, we are. Um, and so that's just a thing where like, if you were anywhere in Toronto, for example, the odds of that happening are next to none. Like basically you would have to be at a restaurant right near the opera house and it would most likely be a patron of the opera house who would be recognize you from a performance type of thing. Um, <coughs> so that's that's the big big difference. Um, Canada's a very much sports heavy culture. Um, so funding wise, government from the government, that's it's it's sport based a lot. Um, yeah, and I think because Canada started with a wider variety of cultural influences, um, there are more people who have a large variety of interests, so they're not necessarily going to decide, I'm going to see a classical music performance, they're going to maybe go and see other performances as well. Um, and live theatre, live performance in, in Canada, it's a hard sell now in the Netflix age. Um, and in Toronto too, the prices for tickets in general are, are reasonable and affordable. Especially for young people, they've done a really good job at um, having student pricing and under 30 pricing and, and stuff like that. Um, but it's expensive to live in those large cities. So a lot of people are spending 80% of their income on just living. Just basic, you know, food and, and paying rent and everything. So they don't have as much money to go and see live performance. So then it's really up to the companies to say, well, you should come spend some of that extra money you have because this is so amazing. And so it's, it's really um, the, the weight of getting someone to spend their money to come see a performance is left to the, to the company. Yeah. I also wanted to ask about your relationship with your voice because it's your main tool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have any routines for, for... Generally, I don't have that many routines. Hydration is a big thing for me. Okay. Um, that's really the big thing. Um, a lot of any sort of things that I do extra, it all has to depend on the environment and stuff. So when I first got here to Salzburg, I was having a fair amount of allergies. Okay. Um, and so I have a couple different um, things I use to help clear stuff up. For me, it's all about trying to keep it as natural as I can. I don't like using um, allergy, like antihistamine allergy medications unless I really need to. Um, so for me, I have a, a nasal thing that helps flush everything out of there. And then for me to get acclimatized to the environment, what I always try to do is find local uh, organic natural honey that hasn't been pasteurized and that helps me adjust. So I found one at the market and it had all the uh, the extra stuff from the bees and everything and it was really, really nice and that helped sort of get my body acclimatized to this allergies. I even brought honey from Canada with me. So at the end of my time here, I'll start taking that so I'm ready when I get back, when I get back to Canada because being here for two months, your body adjusts to the new environment. Um, yeah, and then, but honestly, when I'm healthy, it's just really 
staying hydrated. And for me, I do best with eight hours of sleep or more. Um, you know, it's not always possible, but that's really the big thing. Um, yeah. I also wanted to ask about the baritone voice and the repertoire. Yeah. Is there, I imagine there's like a typical repertoire that every singer has to come with? Yeah, it, it really depends. So for, for baritones, and, okay. um, there's sort of, I'll say, this is overgeneralizing, but there's sort of three types. You have a baritone, which is a higher uh, low voice, and then you have the bass baritone, and then the bass. Um, so for me, as a bass baritone, and being young, it's hard to find... There's certain roles that fit really well, and then there's some roles where I can sing, but it doesn't ne it's not necessarily the right choice for a young bass baritone. Um, so one of the traps I have to avoid falling into is only singing older male roles, like the, okay. always an old father or, or something like that. Um, and it's really easy to get those roles because, well, you're a low voice and there's not as many basses. Um, so if you have those notes or that color as a bass baritone, quite often you get that. Um, typecasting, we call it. Um, for me, like my favorite roles to sing um, right now are Figaro from Le Nozze di Figaro, uh, Leporello from Don Giovanni. I could also do Don Giovanni in the future. Um, and then I've done Guglielmo and also Don Alfonso in Così Fan Tutte. Um, and that all depends on the production, how old they make Alfonso. So sometimes they have Alfonso really only being a couple years older, and other times he's like the old man. So it, it really just depends on the production for that. Um, and then being a bass baritone, um, it gives you then a little more chance to play the bad guys as well, which I, I have a lot of fun with. Um, so I haven't done much from that repertoire, but I'm wanting to do more. So like I know a couple the, the arias from uh, the Rake's Progress by Stravinsky, so Nick Shadow. Um, and then I would love to do the four villains from uh, the Tales of Hoffman. Um, and then also to, down the road to do Iago and maybe Scarpia one day, you know. But those are also, even if you're a baritone, those are things you do in your late 30s, early 40s. So it's, it's really trying to find the, um, the Mozart and the Handel stuff that you can do. And um, in my training, I did a lot of early music, a lot of Baroque um, and Renaissance music. So um, I really enjoy doing that. And that's something... I feel that not every singer gets the chance to do when they're training. Yes. So that's, you know, I don't know a lot of handle opera stuff, but I would love to do mm -hmm. all that stuff. And that's, you don't have to be old to do those roles. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, do you get to choose your repertoire? Not really at this stage. Um, so I have a master's in, in voice, um, and I'm doing a young artist program in Canada at the Canadian Opera Company. And then here in Salzburg, so really what you are, what happens is you are told what you're going to sing, and then you look at it and say, can I actually sing this? If the answer is yes, then you say, I can sing this, and then you have to do it. Um, if you can't do it, then you, then you have a talk with them. And in general, most young artist programs are very, because you're just like, I'm sorry, thank you for this, this role offer. I actually can't sing this right now because I'm too young, or it... Um, doesn't fit my voice and then and then they'll do that 
but in general, most young artist programs, because you've auditioned and they've they've either been looking at you during your studies and stuff, um, they have a pretty good idea of what you can sing. Um, so then it's a balance of are they pushing you vocally into slightly older rep? Are you comfortable doing that? And then, or is it just sort of middle of the road, perfectly fine for you right now? So, and there's tons of small roles in these big operas where it might not be the perfect fit, but because it's short and it's within your range, it's totally um, singable and stuff. Yeah. What is the process to find the character and to build the character in an opera? Well, it really depends on the character, for, for me at least, it depends yeah. on the character and whether it's a newer opera or, or a classic, because... Um, I did Schonard in the spring in La Boheme, and so that character has been done a million times over. So then it's really figuring out, okay, what did Puccini write here, and how am I going to interpret that? Um, so what for me, what I do, you know, you have the full translation, you have everything worked in, and you come in with, for me, right now, because everything's sort of the first time I'm doing it, I come in knowing everything, what it means, and what was written, and I have an idea on that and I'll offer that and then I really let the directors then do the rest of it um, because it really depends on the, the production as I've discovered this past year um, you know some directors it might be their first time doing this opera it might be their 20th time and it might be their production that they built 10 years ago and have been t touring the world with um, with it I did in the fall last year, uh, Zaryetsky and Onegin, and it was a famous production by Robert Carson that had been done at the Met and has traveled the world, and it was in Toronto, and the, the director had been directing that specific show. He was the assistant director, and then he took it on the road for the director. Yeah. So that, and it's been, that was, it's almost 20 years old now. Um, wow. So he knew that piece so intimately and yeah, yeah. my coaches were really like this guy knows this piece just know what you're saying have an idea and he will tell you the rest because it is such a very specific production yeah. um, and it was great um, had my first staging and we just talked through it all he was very specific how he wanted me to walk um, and and it was uh, in this production uh, I was only in silhouette it was a scrim down and the lighting was all from the side and behind yeah. so all you could see was my shadow so every movement and gesture there was no facial expression that the audience could see I still had to have it but it was all about how you moved and that was a really interesting um, thing to, to deal with yeah and how did you envision the profession of opera singer Mm, good question. Well, when I was young, I really hated opera. Um, I even told my family I will never sing opera because I, I loved the choral repertoire. I loved all the oratorio stuff. Um, and then after my orchestra rehearsals on Saturday mornings, we would go back into the car and drive home. And there'd always my parents would always be playing the uh, classical music station on the radio and every Saturday afternoon they would have the uh, Met broadcast uh, and I must have been about 14 or 15 probably 14 um, and uh, it was Tosca on that day and as we came into the car 
um, it was the Te Deum. And I don't remember who the baritone was, but just hearing that and the, the chorus, and it was, it was very, very good recording. Um, and that was like, oh, this is very interesting. Uh, and then when I was 15, um, the boys' choir I was in, I was I, my voice had changed. I was singing in the bass section, and my brother was in the trebles still. And uh, we did this big anniversary concert. It was that choir's 50th anniversary. Um, and they had a bunch of the famous singers come back, one of which was Gerald Finley. And I heard him sing. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, so is this what an <laughs> opera singer is supposed to sound like? Yeah. Um, and so then that was really exciting for me. Uh, and I sort of then was like, well, I really wanted to be a violinist. That's what I was planning on becoming. But I was like, well, you know, I could see myself maybe playing in an opera orchestra or something like that. That could be interesting. Um, And then when I was 16, I did a chamber music program for violin for two weeks. And I'd also applied to uh, a youth choir. Uh, We have provincial youth choirs in Canada. uh, And they generally only take 15 to 20 singers, uh, sometimes 30 if it's a big big choir year. Um, And I had applied but I got into the chamber music program first, so I then withdrew my application. But when I got home from it, uh, I got an email from the choir saying, you had applied, we have had someone drop out, we know you live in the same city that we're hosting this, would you be willing to come in for an audition? So the next morning I went in for an audition and I got into the choir, and I did the the rest of that summer program. After that summer program, um, the vice president of the choir was the um, opera director at the University of Ottawa and she invited me to be in chorus for her production of Carmen that year at the university and she offered me volunteer hours and she said, you know, if it's really good I, I will be willing to, to write you a reference letter for university if you if you need it and I was like, well, sure, why not um, and uh, she then also started giving me voice lessons uh, but a month into the production so it's, we started rehearsals mid-September and the production didn't go up until January because it was only you only met two times a week and that way everyone had time to coach everything and, and stage it all um, and in October she had two of her undergraduate singers drop out of school completely which meant that um, she needed someone to sing Dan Caero uh, and so I got to sing Dan Caero at 16 <laughs> And uh, that was that was a lot of fun. So that's really when my I really started working on opera singing and really steadying voice and how to become an opera singer. And then that went really well. And then she invited me back again when I was in grade eleven um, for uh, Bartolo in uh, Notes di Figaro. And then the following year, I sang Zarastro uh, in Saboflute. And then I went there for my undergrad and sang three more roles there so yeah so the violin just uh, so violin I, I actually so in my yeah I took a year off between high school and university because I couldn't decide um, so I auditioned for both and I got into both in various different places and in the end I chose Ottawa U because I was able to study with the teachers that I liked and knew um, for voice and I was also able to minor in violin so for my first three years of my undergrad I was in the orchestra and also doing chamber music as a violinist um, and taught violin as well and and everything and yeah so that was a lot of fun and then 
Um, in my masters, I was playing less violin, but I got to do a scene in my last year um, from the Tales of Hoffman, uh, Doctor Miracle, where he's um, becoming the devil and getting the the ghost to sing. Um, and there's this one part where it says the devil plays the violin, and so the director knew I played violin, so I learned that part and played it, and yeah, so that was fun. And then this year at the Canadian Opera Company, um, they have an orchestral academy where they invite uh, basically a string quintet of players to play in the orchestra and 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 do uh, a performance with them as well as then doing chamber music and opera excerpts um, with a couple singers. And I was one of the singers, and we did this Vivaldi aria that Korostovsky sort of made famous, Seo Cor Guerriero, and it has a phenomenal um, string part. And I got to direct the players from the violin, so I was playing, and then I would sing, and then play again and stuff. It was really fun. So, yeah. And I would love, I'd love to be able to do a... a an all Brahms recital. I love Brahms. And I'd love to do his second violin sonata because he based that off of a couple, or three, three or four songs that he wrote that same summer. So I'd love to do those songs plus the violin sonata and then finish off with the Fiat the Gazenga. <laughs> that'd be like, that's like my dream yeah. recital project. <laughs> um, and you also work with ensembles and more also as a concert repertoire? Yeah, I do a lot of concert repertoire. Um, and that's, that sort of comes from my time in Ottawa because I sang in a lot of choirs and I, you know, had my first solos as, you know, stepping out from the choir and stuff. So I really enjoy that repertoire. Um, the thing about an opera is, you know, you do one perform one show for two months and that's really all you're working on. Um, so I love the concert rep because it gives me something else to do um, so, and uh, you just get to perform more and uh, you're not gone as long um, so uh, that's nice you know really never more than a week for these uh, concert things because at most you'll have four performances generally most places it's two or three and sometimes just one um, and then two maybe three days of rehearsal so it's, it's really because most of the time it's not memorized it's just with music um, yeah and it's, it's a nice way to make money where you're not um, gone from home for two months. Uh, and that's it's nice. And as my, um, one of my colleagues once told me, uh, he says, Messiah is the best gig because you learn it once when you're a kid. And then you learn it again as an adult with whatever voice type you end up with. And then you don't have to worry about it for the rest of life. You just keep on singing it. And you're only gone for a week and it keeps the wife happy. <laughs> Because you don't have to worry about kissing yeah. anyone or anything like that. So. And with working with the, an ensemble, do you have any uh, interpretation work to do, or it's just? Yeah, it really depends on the conductor. Um, some conductors they have their idea, and it's basically like an offer. You just do it how the conductor yeah. wants. And other conductors, it's it's really a collaboration. Um, and that and that it depends on the conductor, and then the size of the ensemble. So I did a lot of chamber musicy things. Uh, when I was a bit younger, I got to work with some really great string ensembles and stuff. And that was, there was no conductor. It was pure chamber music, collaborative stuff, and doing world premieres too. So, you know, um, I got to do this one set of songs for string string quartet with flute and bass clarinet. 
that the composer had written. And so, you know, the composer came in for a little bit. We talked with her and we figured out sort of what her idea was. And then she, she was very open and, and was just like, this is what I've written. I want the notes and the rhythms to be basically as I wrote them. But like the interpretation of the poetry and stuff, I really want you guys to, to discover that and, and to bring it to life. Um, and so we did, and, and it was a lot of fun. So that those sort of um, collaborations, you don't get them a lot, but they're, for me, a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, you grow, I find, a lot as an artist, where you have to, you have to listen to what your other colleagues are saying. Um, and, you know, I normally have a full score in front of me when I'm working on that thing, and I might have not realized that, oh, this viola line is actually commenting on what I just sang or something. I might have missed that or, or oh, what if we made that a comment on what I just said, you know? So, it's, it's really fun. I find with that sort of, especially new music and contemporary ensemble stuff, that happens a lot. The only other place where I found, find that happens is then with Bach, when we do the cantatas and stuff, because Bach has left us so much to to, to deal with. Um, so those are the really the two main places where I I really find that sort of collaboration really happens. With a lot of the other stuff, there's normally too many other moving parts. So you come in with your ideas, you talk to the conductor, and they they sort of direct it. Do you ever think about uh, what is your impact to the listener? For me, I'm always trying to be as honest as I can as a performer. Um, generally, I find well-written music, um, the composer and librettist have left it in such a way where it can be impactful to, to the audience. All you have to do is just generally either do what they wrote or be really clear with how you're interpreting what they wrote. Um, my favorite thing to be told, after, well, like when I when someone comes up to me after a performance and tells me they could understand every word, and uh, they could understand the atmosphere I was creating with it, or the the story I was telling, for me that means my job. I did my job well. Um, uh, it's great when they love the voice and stuff, but generally people are drawn into the story of what you're telling them. So if they are drawn into that, they might realize the beauty of a certain line that the composer wrote, or they might not. But the composer wrote that line for the text, normally. So, yeah. This is your first time in I was here when I was younger, when I was 19. I did a, what's called a pay-to-sing program. Um, I don't even know if it's still going on anymore here. Um, but uh, I did Die Zauberflöte here. Uh, so I spent a month in the city. So it was nice. It sort of feels like coming back to a familiar place, which is nice. Um, but completely different this time with being singing at the Salz Salzburg Festspiele. So. And what was your impression from the first time? Uh, like between the first time and now? Um, the first time I was here, everything was like... <laughs> Oh my goodness! Now it's I'm a little little less starstruck, maybe. Um, I've already seen all the big sights and everything. Um, it's a really really beautiful city here. Um, I think for me, the big difference is 
when I was, I sort of feel like when I first came to the city, I was like musically or operatically a child, and now I feel like I'm I'm a teenager, so um, or a young adult, something like that, musically speaking. Um, so a little less childlike wonder and a little more, oh, this is interesting, and and a little more, yeah, and then. Spending you know time in the the rehearsal rooms at the the Festspiele and all that it's um yeah it's, it's it's a really different feel and being around so many wonderful artists and you know working at there's nothing like working at a professional level um, there's so much hmm, what do I want to say there is so much joy and desire to do the best you can. Um, and really offer the audience everything that you absolutely can. And that's that's really exciting to work at that level. Um, and not saying that you don't have that at you know a semi-professional level or something like that, but here because opera means so much to everyone, it's 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 yeah, it's just everything's heightened. So what are your expectations? What are you excited about this year? Uh, well, for this, right now here in Salzburg, it's, it's always fun to do a, a brand new piece, um, getting to work with the composer. With this piece, um, I feel like the composer put a lot of himself into, into the role that I am singing. So, trying, trying to really, that's a lot of pressure on a performer to, to when, you're, when you realize that the role you're singing is kind of a reflection on the person who wrote it, to really try to do that to the best of your ability um, that's that's really really exciting um, and then to be able to see all these operas that are going on here with so many wonderful singers and, and I've never seen the Vienna Philharmonica live so to see them you know play an opera it's just going to be like you know I grew up listening to the recordings and, and being a, a big orchestral nerd you know I would get all the big conductors and then I remember oh, I can't remember which Mahler symphony it was, but I got, I think there were two or three different famous conductors with the Wiener Philharmonica, and I got all those recordings out and compared how they sounded through the time. And there's this famous YouTube video of the opening chords of the Eroica symphony with, with all the different pitches. And like, I was discovering that, so like, that's kind of cool. And so then to hear them live, that's, I'm really excited to hear that. And I really hope to be able to catch a couple of the, uh, the concerts as well, because such a phenomenal concert. Um, programs that happen here and then um, I'm hoping from this experience you know to have met a lot of people here in Europe and to develop some contacts here um, and then be able to come back and audition for agents and, and, and houses to be able to get work here down the road in, in Europe um, and then I'm going back to Canada and doing my final year in the ensemble and I have, uh, right when I get back, I'm going into rehearsals for Turandot as the Mandarin. So that'll be fun. That's my first time doing Turandot. That was actually the first opera I saw live ever. And that was at the, the Venus Folks Opera House when I was uh, there uh, on my or orchestra uh, field trip tour when I was 14. Um, so that's kind of cool to, to do that show. Um, yeah, and then it's a lot of um, small roles and, and some covers um, this year. And then 
and getting to make a couple more debuts, um, debuting with uh, another symphony orchestra in Canada, in Nova Scotia, and doing my first full, um, as a soloist, um, Bach B minor mass. I've done it many times as a chorister, even like two or three on a part, um, but actually doing it just as a soloist, that's going to be fun. Uh, and then I'm making a debut with a, a, a chamber group in Toronto called the Toronto Consort, and we're doing um, a Schutz uh, Christmas piece. It's like Histoire. Oh, what's it called now? <laughs> Can't remember. But I, so I'm singing the ensembles, and then also the role of Herod in that Christmas story that Schutz wrote. Um, and that's really fun because that's very text-driven, um, sort of the beginning of German recitative and stuff. So that's that's going to be a lot of fun to do that. And that's going to be a very much a, a chamber music collaborative experience. Um, so that's really fun. Um, yeah, and then just doing more auditions. That's kind of when you're in your 20s doing opera. It's a lot of auditions. Um, I just got um, a, an agent in Canada. Um, so she's working really hard for me to get more uh, work once I'm done at the Canadian Opera Company as an ensemble studio member. Um, and yeah, I, would, I have various different parts of my family throughout Canada. Um, so it'd be gr and I don't get to see them very often so it'd be great you know you know to be able to go to somewhere yeah, yeah. and and do a concert and then be able to you know yeah, meet some family yeah. and stuff so it's it's always nice and then the goal is for me um, to have an international career I'd love to sing across the world I love traveling I'd love to be able to make enough money traveling where I could bring my wife with me um, and 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 be able to you know on my days off go and be a tourist together so yeah Oh, thank you, yeah, my pleasure. <laughs>